Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Friends, this is a confusing time to be a content creator, a influencer, or a journalist, depending on how you see podcasts, because right now the writers and the actors are both on strike. Uh, requests have gone out about not making content that is uh, about struck work, and myself and Ricky Hayashi are going to talk about it. Uh, talk about the strikes, why they matter. I think if you listen to my uh, podcast that came out on Tuesday about the movie Newsies, you know pretty solidly where I stand. But I think there's a lot to go into about what does this strike mean for all of us? You know, where do we? How do we best support it? What does it mean for content creators? And what is it? Where do we stand with all of the other non uh, live action uh, created media that exists for Star Wars? So there's a lot to talk about. Myself and Ricky Hayashi are going to get into it right after this commercial break. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. I'm joined, as I said, by Riki Hayashi. And probably one of the first things you'll notice is that we're not talking about Rebels today. Um, For the moment, I've decided that on this and my other podcast, we're not going to make any content that's going to be about the uh, media that's created by the struck companies. That's the terminology that's being used. Uh, and so we're not doing Rebels today. That may change as more news comes out, as more ideas come out. Uh, certainly, I hope the strike gets settled pretty soon. But, Ricky, I really wanted to have you on to talk about the strikes and, and what all this means. So let me kind of just start by asking you, what, what's been your understanding of a strike and how you've been feeling about it since the with both the writer strike and now the actor strike going on? Sure. I mean, just in general... I would say that I am pro-union, pro-worker, mm-hmm. and so, like, support this decision. I think it's complicated when you're talking about media, past and present, or, like, present and future, whatever, however you want to say mm-hmm. it, because, you know, the show Star Wars Rebels certainly was made by people who are being paid and, and all that, but I think we want to make sure we're doing things right. Right. Is your position. And you wanted to get some answers on that. And so, like, taking a pause, I think, is good. And then discussing mm-hmm. the issue on hand of the, the people who are striking. Like, I follow a few people on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, like Ad- Adam Conover, who has been yep. a very prominent voice in all of this. And so, I, you know, I'm getting I'm getting some news and information and trying to understand. And one of the biggest issues that I see being discussed is AI, the use Mm -hmm. of artificial intelligence to supplement, potentially question mark, even replace writers and actors. Like that's a big issue. And you're talking about human beings who are doing labor and then trying to replace them with machines to do that labor. And in some case, like against their will, against the will of the humans and and their consent. So I think that's a very important issue going forward for everyone. If we're talking about like labor, human labor being replaced by machines. For sure. And I want to talk about that on a general level. But it's funny because the specific thing you just mentioned about AI, I think is actually very relevant to Star Wars, because as, as many folks know, if you don't follow the business too much, you may not know this, but James Earl Jones uh, apparently made a deal with Disney where he knows he's aging and I think he, he doesn't want to keep doing voice work and he realizes he won't be around to keep doing voice work. 
as long as there's probably going to be Darth Vader appearing in things. And so he made a deal with Disney that he went into a studio and they recorded his voice doing, you know, saying all the things that the AI needed. And he got paid very lucratively for this and he gave his full consent. As I understand, he was part of the planning of this. And so he got to agree, yeah, I am willing to let you use my voice for this character in this specific way and I'm being compensated quite well for it. And I, I bring that up because I think that is, you know, I I recognize that technology is going to keep advancing and people are going to use it. And I, I think there's something to be said for some degree of like, okay, could, can we find the ethical ways, the, the consensual ways to use this kind of thing? And I think that might be an example of one way it could happen. I'm not in the union negotiations, uh, that, and that's probably something that's just done for the big star. But obviously, but the point is that in that case, the the actor was well compensated, and even more importantly, fully consented, fully gave their permission, and and negotiated this. Yes, and that is so markedly different than what's being talked about in these strikes in terms of the 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 idea of the background actor who comes in once and then can get used. You know, for anything, they could have someone who goes in for one day of shoots on, you know, an action movie. And then the next day they they take his image and dress him in Victorian garb. And he's the background for the latest version of Pride and Prejudice, which I think is actually not uh, Victorian. It's Edwardian. So please don't uh, might even be restoration. Please don't yell at me about all that. Um, But but you get my point. And it's funny. I, I, like you, have a very strong pro-union bias. You know, my, my mother raised me to believe that you never cross a picket line and that was, you know, one of the real cardinal rules in life, as strong as never having tomato sauce out of a jar, um, you know, these kind of things. And and it's something I've always respected and held to. And it, it's funny, too, because, like, it would take a bad writer to script the kind of supervillain-type things that these companies are now doing. You know, and it's everything from people have published the, you know, the requests that were being made by the unions and their uh, the, the just utter lack of response and rejection of everything from the companies, the uh, quotes that have come out from people thinking that wanting to have control over your own likeness is unreasonable and that they're concerned by it. This by a person, um, Bob Iger, the head of Disney, who makes millions and millions and millions of dollars. The, uh, the, the comment about wanting to starve people out until they're, you know, losing their homes as a way of putting economic pressure on them to, to force them to come back to the table. Um, just, and, and then the, the latest that we've gotten is reports that, and not even reports, I mean, pictures and, and full proof that the trees that were giving shade to strikers outside one of the major factories, uh, major studios, I believe Universal, that they were all trimmed down quite significantly. In ways that numerous arborists have been like, this is horrible for the trees, but they also cut off all shade. You know, it's just – it's mustache twirling, twirling villain type stuff. And to me, at least, it makes it very easy to know which side to take. Yeah. Well, even um, in one of the other prominent anti-union things going on, Starbucks, right? Mm-hmm. Starbucks, like if, if workers, if baristas at a store try to form a union – Starbucks basically just closes that store yep. because they have, you know, five other ones within 20 blocks. So mm-hmm. they, they don't care which store, which of those stores are open. But, hey, if you start talking about unions, your store's gone. Like, that's what yep. they do. So because, like, it comes down to the money. You mentioned Bob Iger. 
um, mm-hmm. Disney CEO, right, or exec, some kind of exec at Disney. He, so I, I pulled up this this image that I wanted to reference from, and some, we'll make sure that that image is in the show notes or is oh, in okay. the kind of you know yeah. links for all that. This this is just a screenshot um, from MSNBC. And it's a tweet from someone who's saying, will someone please think about the CEOs? And it has, this is an image of highest paid Hollywood executives in the last five years. And Mr. Bob Iger is on there. He's one of the top 10. Uh, I guess this is over, over five years. Mm-hmm. He made $195 million. Right. Bob did. Uh, other names on here, like another prominent one from Warner Brothers, David Zas- Zaslav. Zaslav, yep. Yeah. He's the highest paid, $498 million. And his name came up a lot because of stuff um, stuff relating to like Batgirl and The yep. Flash, right? Those movies and how, how those rollouts have gone and, and Batgirl just being canceled. To, to, for a tax break, and, and like that—that's a stunning amount of money, right? Like these people don't need more money, and and probably should not make this much money. I I'm, I don't know about the business of movies and TV, but I'm just gonna say like those people should make less money, and the people who are doing a lot of the work, the writing, the acting, give them some more money. Like why not? Like it's it's literally pennies too. Like it's yeah. pennies to these people what what the the guilds are asking for so i am always of the opinion fairly like socialist i'll say like distribute Mm -hmm. wealth more evenly so that people have a chance to earn a living wage or even like a comfortable wage versus someone having more boats i 100 percent there with you um i want the orcas to be able to take care of the boats that there are they don't need to have more targets <clears throat> but and there's a couple things I want to say there. I want to say more about the actors and writer strike directly. But first, just responding a bit to I'm really glad you brought up the Starbucks strike because I think one of the critiques I hear that I think it's important to keep in mind is, yeah, this is an important strike and it hits home for a lot of people because it so affects the things that we consume so regularly. But that there are a lot of other things that are on strike that are have been on strike or are on strike or might soon be on strike and are just as barbaric. Starting August first, it's very possible that UPS drivers will be on strike, mm-hmm. and their main demands aren't about salary. There probably is some salary demands, but two of their biggest demands are: first of all, they want air conditioning in the UPS trucks. Now, yeah, please. We are we are, is record heat all over the country. And, um, you know, all they want is – and yes, they, they sometimes drive slowly down the street with their with their doors open and the like. But still, it's going to get very hot in those trucks, not to imagine, you know, they have to do some highway driving at some point. Like, that's such a basic thing, as well as not having mandatory overtime, being able to have some ability to schedule mm-hmm. when they're going to have time with their families versus when they can be called in. And similarly, with the unions, I think, first of all, it's important to understand that we hear a lot about – you know, Matt Damon makes this many millions of dollars for a movie. Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones makes this many millions. I'm probably dating myself. I don't think she's made a movie in 10 years. But, you know, Scarlett Johansson, like whoever it is, yes, these people make astronomical salaries. And perfectly frankly, like 
I I wouldn't mind if the if the the union you know the the there was some like call for the you know some of those salaries to be pushed down a bit. But like you said, I think it's the 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 CEO salaries that I'm much more concerned about. But still, those people are a tiny minority. Same with the big name writers who make huge salaries. The strike is mostly by people who are making under twenty six thousand dollars a year from this kind of work. Mm-hmm. The something I, I think something like eighty six percent of SAG members have other jobs as well because they're trying to make ends meet because it is so hard to make enough money to live off of as an actor and this is part of what they're trying to fix and one of the things i think that's so important about the strike as well is it's not just about saying give us more money that's a part of it but part of it's also that there are things being done that actively cut away from the amount of money actors and writers should be getting in ways that i think are pretty unfair and the residuals is one that I think gets brought up a lot for those who don't fully understand the issue. And I'm not part of the union. This is my – but after some research, a good amount of research, this is my brief summary of it. So if you have corrections, please you know put them in the comments uh, when we post these episodes. But the basic idea is that when you are a part of a movie as uh, um, an actor who – you know like somewhere in the principal cast – I don't think this is for like every single background actor, but certainly for a lot of the actors, not just the huge stars, uh, as well as I think for some of the top writers, the better that that movie did or that TV show did, the more you got paid in these in these things that are called residuals. And that went for um, the amount of money it made on television every time it got syndicated Every time, uh, you know, VHS, a v, you know, wow, I'm really dating myself, you know, DVD and Blu-ray sales, all that kind of stuff, movie tickets, etc. With streaming services, streaming services are not in their contract because they didn't exist the last time the contract was made. Now, it seemed pretty logical to say we have a contract that says you get paid every time people watch this product that you help create. So now there's a new way to help create that product. We're going to pay you in that new way. We're just going to renegotiate in some way. But instead, no, there's been a a flat refusal to say, oh, no, it's streaming on Netflix. That's not in your contract. So none of that counts. Yeah, that that I mean, that that rings so true. Like the the residuals from streaming, just like merchandising. Right. I watched Mm -hmm. a documentary about Leonard Nimoy, you know, who played Spock in the original Star Trek series. And he when they were getting ready to make the first motion picture, Star Trek One, you know, the movie back in like 1980, like 15, 20 mm-hmm. years after the TV show, he held out because Par- I think it's Paramount, right? Mm-hmm. Was, was licensing Star Trek. They were making money off of Star Trek, you know, lunchboxes and action figures and all that, like getting that revenue. Mm-hmm. And the people whose likeness they were using, the character who, you know, the actors who portrayed these characters were getting nothing from that. Yeah. And he held out because he's like, no, you're like this. This is a picture of me on this lunchbox. You have to give me money for this. Yeah. And so like the companies, like the, the organizations are always trying to find ways to make money, which is just capitalism, like accepted. But you have to share that fairly with the people who created a thing or helped yeah. make a thing, even if it wasn't part of the original negotiation. Like I, I truly believe in like that kind of fairness. And it's like, oh, but yeah. you didn't you didn't sign this contract that said that's like 
But you also have like million dollar lawyers who are like writing these contracts. Yeah. And it's just like fundamentally not fair. And I, I, I'm a big believer that the spirit of the contract should continue as new technology changes the exact terms of it. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah. I and mean, if you want to renegotiate a bit and like the numbers move a little bit, sure. But at least let that be part of the conversation. And and what you said about James Earl Jones, like he he signed off on this. He consented mm-hmm. to this. He got paid. I'm still kind of not comfortable going forward with like AI, James Earl Jones, you know, Darth Vader voice. We'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. But there are so many people who didn't consent to anything. Yeah. Mainly because they have they passed long ago. Like Peter Cushing, Grand Moff Tarkin is in Rogue One. And yeah. he certainly didn't sign off on that. Did like did his family get paid for that or what? Yeah. Um, I, I think in the new Flash movie, they use likenesses of people who have passed, like uh, mm-hmm. DC characters who have passed, right? Yeah, they, Christopher Reeves among them. They they didn't consent to this, and it's not yeah. it's not like it's not using images. From, like, the original Superman movie. It is, like, digital recreations of them taking yeah. new actions. Yeah. Like, acting acting in new ways. And that's just, to me, like, that, that you can't do that. And yeah. so, like, that is a big part of what this strike is about. It's like, you can't do that. Yeah. No, I think it's so very true. And I think it's the... I do think that in some of those cases, the uh, in some cases, the family was compensated or even asked specifically for permission. Um but in some cases, they definitely weren't. And I think it's, um, you know, it, it's it's one more thing where I, I'm not at the negotiating table and I don't think I can get into the to the weeds of it. But I think I'm I'm going to trust the union. I'm going to trust the union that, that, you know, their demands make sense. And from everything we've seen, the companies absolutely don't. And so that's where I'm going to stand. So, so that's where we each feel individually. And I think then the, the next part of the question is, what does it mean for us as people who like to talk about these things online? And... I'll start, as I said, there's been more and more guidelines coming out from the union, but let's put even that aside for the moment. Uh, I don't think either you or I has plans to try and draw uh, join the union anytime soon. And while I like to think that my influence is going to grow, I don't think anyone's going to be calling me and asking me to be a scab and go to uh, uh, a premiere of anything and give my you know important take anytime soon. And we'll get to kind of what the unions have been saying that that folks should do. But even putting any of that aside, what was your reaction or, you know, what thoughts did you have, if any, about, you know, someone who has been with me making regular content about Star Wars uh, stuff for the last couple of years now? What was your thought when you heard about the the strikes and how that might affect things? I mean, first off, good for them was my thought. Mm. And also, like, how it's going to affect us. I like this is a very clear red line. Yeah. You know, being drawn of anything after this, like anything that happens while a strike is going on. Like if the studios try to continue to make something, to put something out, like that's a hard no, right? Like, yeah. And, and, and as I said, we, you and I on the show have been dealing with a show, Star Wars Rebels, that was put out during a non-struck period. So, you know, I'm... I'm okay to, as a viewer, to watch things right now, right? Like, yeah, it's kind of like the thing. But anything that they make right now, like, I'm absolutely not going to watch. Like, yeah. By, made by scabs, as you say. Mm-hmm. And because, like, 
here's the thing. When I was growing up uh, in the 2000s, there was a fairly prominent writer strike. And I have mm -hmm. memories of it because my memory is that it, quote unquote, ruined several shows that I enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, which was Battlestar Galactica and Heroes. You know, and mm -hmm. if you're if you're a, a geek, you probably remember those shows and they were greatly affected. And at the time and and for years after that, I was like, oh, like it's too bad that the writer strike, you know, that the writers struck and then like these shows mm -hmm. kind of got derailed. The reason they got derailed is because they tried to go on without the, the writers. Like they, they yeah. used scavs or they forced uh, like the showrunner who was not part of SAG, I believe, mm -hmm. to continue the show. They're like, no, like keep making it. And like, but my writers are on strike. I can't do anything. It's like, I don't yeah. know. You write it. I know there were a couple of shows. I, I don't, I'm not sure if it was either one of those, but a couple of other shows where they basically would just have the, the show writer or someone else uh, write kind of like general outlines for scenes and then just have the the actors all do it by improv, which yeah. like Friday Night Lights was done entirely by that way because it was planned that way. But when actors aren't expecting that, as, especially when a show is known for really good snappy dialogue, like, yeah, it's often going right. to fall apart. So because that was just the writers, right? That yeah. was not the screen actors. That was not so... They were still kind of able to operate and make these shows. Fair enough. But especially when it comes to TV shows we love, like we understand, like obviously the actors are important because yeah. we see them on screen. But I think you and I know how important writers are. And we, we oftentimes like identify mm -hmm. certain writers and be like, this person did this episode. Like I really yeah. like their stuff. Like that type of situation. So if you remove those people and you say, well, now you have to do it with scabs or people who are not in the guild and yeah. you force these shows to do that, they're going to suffer. And yeah. like I say, when I was growing up, I didn't fully understand the situation. So I kind of blamed the writers for striking. And yeah, that's, that, that's wrong. Like, I, I see that now. Like, you got to blame the executives the companies who were like nah like we're just gonna keep doing this thing and like whatever yeah and i had like similar feelings about the baseball strike you know yeah. 1994 the the players union went on strike and the world series was canceled i was a kid and i loved baseball and i was like why are you striking like give me the world series yeah but no like they were fighting for a good cause yeah. And the narrative that was spun was like they were fighting so Alex Rodriguez can get paid two hundred million dollars, right? Like again, like you you're talking about like Scarlett Johansson, like the big ticket actors, like no, it's about and especially in baseball, it's about the minor leaguers. Yeah. Like that they get they get paid like less than minimum wage because oh, you got a signing bonus and all that. And it's really atrocious. I, I'm close to you in age, a little bit, little bit young, a little bit older, and yeah, I had similar experiences because you know with with the baseball strikes and and the NFL strikes, and later realized like yeah. no, so much of this was about like just the the health health care for you know because yeah. so many players would come into the league, play for maybe a season or two, not get a chance to make huge money, have injuries that would last the rest of their lives, and then have no way to pay for it. Right. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on that. So it's it, it's often the case that the billionaires, right, the owners, the CEOs, yeah. will try to turn the narrative on 
oh, like these greedy players, these greedy, these people are millionaires. Why are they asking for more money? But there are so many people in the system who are not millionaires. They're trying. Like the minor leaguers, that's what they're trying to do. But they're getting so little. And those people deserve something too. And I think that also brings up another important point. I want to get back to the the content creator question. Yeah. But but I think it brings up another important point uh, that, that I really learned. Like I said, I used to be a union organizer. Most of my career was as a community organizer, of which union organizing is one type. And one of the fundamental rules in community organizing is no permanent allies, no permanent enemies. And what it means is like when you are focused on a particular cause, you fight on that cause and you line up with the people who are your allies on that fight. And even if they were across the table from you on a different fight, if they're with you on this fight, that's who you work with. With some, you know, some 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 exemptions, of course. But, you know, as an example, I think another thing that studios are trying to put out or, you know, people who are just acting on their own, but I think often with the support of the studios is trying to attack some of the people who uh, are the real leaders of this. And, you know, I'll say, for example, like Fran Drescher, the the actress who is uh, in The Nanny and uh, has done a lot of other great stuff. She's run a theater company for quite some time. She's the president of SAG. She's made some great speeches. You dig a little deeper, you find out, you know, her kids are vaxxed, but she fought pretty hard against vaccine mandates. And I strongly disagree with her on that and think that she's probably done a lot of harm through that. Does... That mean I'm going to, to, but do I think that her actions on that other issue in any way impugn the union's fight? Absolutely not. Does it mean I think she's not a, you know, she's the person who the union elected as a president because she's not talking about vaccines. She's talking about the union's issues. And is she the perfect spokesman? Probably not. But the world isn't made of perfect people. And she's the president. She's doing a good job. She's fighting for what she believes in and what the union that elected her believes in. And so I'm going to support her. And I think that's probably true of, you know, and I, and obviously I'm not trying to be, you know, doctrinaire about that. There are lines. And I think there's, you know, certainly times where we can say, like, I'm not going to valorize this particular person just because they're a, a movement leader. I think sometimes they're movement leaders who we need to talk about their flaws and their faults. But right now, this isn't about Fran Drescher. Fran Drescher, it's about the union. And and so I think that that, that can often be a real distraction ta- tactic. Hmm. Yeah, that's a... I had seen the speeches by Fran Drescher and was mm-hmm. very impressed because, like like you said, like I really only knew her from the nanny and she had that, that annoying voice. And, like, that's just a character. But in yeah. my head, like, that's all I know about her. But the speech, the speeches she made were very good. And I was, I was like, okay, like, this is good stuff. Um, I did not know about the as you said, anti-vax situation. That's unfortunate. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you you and I both follow politics a lot, you know, politicians. And we mm-hmm. recognize that even there are politicians who we do not like personally or like disagree with a lot of things they do. But when they are on our side, you know, when they are trying to fight for something we believe in, like, yeah, we kind of have to get behind that, right? Like, we cannot say, oh, well, no. So, it's a similar yeah. situation, I feel like. Yeah, I think, I think it's very true. And so, let's pull it back to the, the idea of content creators. Did did you – because I eventually reached out to you and said, hey, let's talk about what we're going to do with, with our content. Was it something you'd thought about before I, I contacted you or you or Sarah had talked about? I – 
I it did occur to me. Mm-hmm. It definitely occurred to me, and so I I'm really like conflicted going forward for sure. Like I I would personally be okay with continuing on talking about rebels because mm-hmm. it's it's past content. However, yeah. like I, you, this is your show, so I'm yeah. absolutely gonna back you on on your decision. And going forward, like I, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. So yeah. I, I would definitely appreciate hearing more from you and more from you all in the audience definitely. on your feelings. Like I, I think this is the kind of thing where community dialogue and discussion with peers and people, you know, whose opinions you trust is is important. Very much so. Very much so. And and I will say part of my discussion came out of some of that discussion with peers, namely some of the other big Star Wars content creators who I follow. Mm. So let me talk a little bit about what that process has been like because, you know, during the, when the writer strike first happened, I also gave this some thought and, you know, paid a lot of attention to, you know, I had kind of an idea in mind of if anything was going to be being made by struck content that I wouldn't get into it at all. Um, and like as one example, um, I know that there is a particular scene. I think it's the opening credits of only the first episode in Marvel's Secret Invasion that was created through AI. And I just decided, you know, and normally I don't comment too much about those sh- the MCU shows, especially because uh, you know the MCU cast is one of my favorite podcasts. I'm good friends with the people who make that. I would like to let them kind of have first crack at that, and then maybe like halfway through or later, I'll do more of an ethics focused episode. And, and this one, I haven't even watched it yet because I thought, you know, it's being made by AI at a time when that's one of the big things the writers are fighting about. I'm just not going to touch it. Um, and then when the actor strike kind of kicked in, I, it made me think about this all again. And I do think that there's something to be said for maybe we should have been thinking about this just during the writer strike and that there maybe is a little bit more of a focus on the actors and the writers, which I think myself and a lot of us are guilty of. But either way. I, I did some more thinking about it and, and thinking again about, you know, what I learned from my mom about not crossing a picket line because what she meant by it was, you know, we weren't part of these unions. My parents were lawyers. They weren't unions they were parts of. But they meant it in terms of where we do our business. And, you know, I remember one time uh, I organized a bunch of friends to go down to Atlantic City to play poker at one of my favorite casinos. And we got there and the dealers went on strike. And um, I'm sorry, not the dealers. I think it was the the wait. There's some some people of the staff were on strike, but there was a picket line, and they brought in I think scabs to to help work the hotel or you know whatever it was. And I just I didn't know anything about the strike, but I wasn't going to cross a picket line. And I, I it was 25 years ago. I don't remember uh, 20 years ago, but my I, I think I wound up getting everybody to go to a different casino because I just didn't want to cross that picket line. And in the same way, I think one of my first urges was to say, okay, well, then I'm not going to go to any movies. I'm going to cancel my subscription services and stuff like that. The unions have specifically said they are asking people not to do that yet. And one thing I'm a real big believer in is that the unions know best what the strategy should be. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that part of that is that that's kind of one of the most extreme bullets in their gun. And they don't want to fire it until they're ready to. And I think that that's perfectly reasonable. And so I'm so I decided not to do that. And I think at the time I said, yeah, so I'll keep making content. And then this all came out and I started thinking more about it and started realizing like, I don't, 
what I don't feel comfortable doing is because here's the thing I think, and here's maybe where the actors part of it makes it really different is that one of the things that actors do and are paid to do is to go out and promote the content that they're making. They go on interview shows. They go on, you know, uh, the different like talk shows and stuff like that. They have their own social medias. They make TikToks and tweets and all this kind of stuff to encourage people to get excited about the new content that's coming out. And when all of them stopped doing that, there was a lot of discussion about, okay, well, we have to be careful because influencers and content creators are going to kind of, if we're not careful, wind up filling those roles and becoming scabs. And certainly have already been attempts by the big studios to reach out to content creators and say, hey, we're going to pay you this amount of money to go to this premiere and this kind of stuff because uh, the actors aren't going anymore. As I said, I don't think I'm ever good. I hope I'm big enough one day that, that I get that kind of offer that I can turn down. I would turn it down, but I'm not that big yet. But one of the things I started really thinking about was, okay, how much is the content that I create still encouraging people to get excited about the new stuff that's coming out? Um, especially because a lot of the Star Wars stuff we've been doing has very been very much focused on getting ready for Ahsoka. And here I'll admit is where my own personal dilemma comes in, in that I want these podcasts to grow. I spent a lot of time and effort and money making them happen, and I'd like to make more money. I'd like to have more listeners. I'd like to have more reach. And I had been planning that Ahsoka would be a really good time for that. You know, when the Obi-Wan show came out and Andor came out, I kind of did big publicity pushes, and that got us a lot of growth. And I was really excited to really do like double down and have a whole plan. And here's, you know, week by week, different people would come on, different content. All to get people really fired up and excited for the Ahsoka show. And one of the first things I decided, though, was that I couldn't do that. That the Ahsoka content was going to be coming out. And as far as I know, it had most it had been made entirely and finished pre-strikes. Um, I really hope there weren't any scabs who did rewrites. I think we would have heard about it if there were. But maybe there have been. Who knows? Uh, if there any last-minute shoots still going on. Um. But then I started thinking, okay, well, what's the rest of it? And 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 my brain was going a lot through, okay, what are the different conditions? How does this work? And the SAG, SAG-AFTRA, the union, has put out various guidelines. And it's not really clear exactly where podcasters fit. Because one of the things they've said is that they want journalists to still cover you know, things exactly as they would. I think by a lot of accounts... Uh, uh, podcasters are considered journalists. Certainly, uh, I get press passes to a lot of con- conferences and stuff like that. We're also, though, still building influence and building um, – uh, we are building hype for these shows, though. That's a part of what we do. Even if we're critical of them, we're still generating interest and getting people thinking about them. So I was really kind of on the fence about that. And, that well, and, and that's why I think it was easy for me to kind of say, okay, well, no Ahsoka. And then I started to wonder about Rebels specifically. And this is what I admit I'm still a little bit on the fence about, but I'm still leaning more towards not doing coverage for now because Rebels is animation. And animation, and this is maybe a a better issue that should also be discussed at some point, but right now, voice actors and animation are not covered by SAG. It's a different... I don't think they have their own union, or if they do, it's something very different. But 
and and specifically in the guidance that has been given to actors, they have been told you can still do voice acting for video games, for animation, for you know all this other stuff that's just not part of the the, the companies we're striking against, or not part of the kind of work that we're striking about. And so that to me, I was like, oh, okay, well then, Rebels does uh, you know is fine, and 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 we're all good about it. And so I wrote into the union to kind of get some feedback on this, but I know a lot of people are writing into the union these days, and and they're prob- they may respond to me at some point, but it may may take a while. And one of the things I think a lot of people are getting confused about is that th- there are two very different things that the union has been putting out. One of which are the rules for their members, which is here's what you're allowed to do, here's what you're not allowed to do, and I mean that's part of how a union works. It has to be how a union works, and. The idea is that all the members get to vote to help decide who, you know, makes these rules and stuff like that. And the rules often also apply to people who might one day want to be part of the union. And then as a totally separate thing, they're also saying, and hey, to anyone who wants to support the strike, here are the things that we're asking you to do. And part of that is to not, you know, create social media about the the products that are being um, uh, struck and the, from the companies that are being struck. And... There again, like I said, like maybe animation means it's not quite the same. Maybe podcast means it's not quite the same. But I just feel like I don't want to even try to look for a loophole like that. It feels like just looking for a loophole. And I'd rather just say across the board, I'm just not going to do it. And frankly, that is because a lot of the other Star Wars creators uh, that I really follow on TikTok and Twitter and other great podcasts, including a number of people who have been big guests of this show, they themselves have come out and said, you know, we're just not going to do any Star Wars content. And and I was like, yeah, and I listened to their reasoning, and, and that really helped me make the decision for myself uh, that this is where we're going to be for now. And, uh, you know, if the union comes out with specific guidelines about animation, maybe we'll change on that, but I think that's going to qualify. Um, there's other stuff like the video games and books and things like that that you and I will talk about in a bit. But first, I'll just kind of pause because I've been monologuing a long while and let you jump in with any comments or questions or disagreements or whatever the heck you want to say. No, it was a good. It was a good monologue. I was compelled. <laughs> Thanks. I was very compelled. And, and no, I mean, I it it helps me. Like I said, I was looking to get your thoughts yeah. on this as well. So it's very helpful to me. And yeah, like I stuff is just uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Right now, and it's unfortunate that it's happening. But I have to believe that it's happening for a good reason. Like you said, trust. The union yeah. and trust the leaders who are doing this, that they are doing it for a good cause. And like, I try to read up on it. And, and for that reason, like, I, I really do support what you're doing and mm, the decision you. you're making. Like, and I'm hopeful, you know, like, again, like with the timing of Ahsoka, it's very unfortunate for, for you and I personally, because it's something we have been looking forward to for so long, especially like, rebels leading into it and it is like i want to be hyped for it but you just can't under the circumstances and it's similar to it i don't know if it's similar but the the flash movie right i didn't i didn't go watch that and i don't know Mm -hmm. if i will ever watch it because of the circumstances surrounding the the primary actor um ezra miller ezra miller yeah right that they are accused of some um, pretty terrible things. And I 
love the Flash. The Flash is one of my favorite characters. The TV show, the Arrowverse TV show, was is one of my favorite TV shows. Like, mm-hmm. well, not of all time. It's not a good show, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a fun show. I enjoy. Yeah. I enjoy it, and and part of it is because I enjoy the character of the Flash, and so like it is kind of crestfalling for me to not watch that movie because I mm-hmm. love the Flash so much, and I've frankly I've heard like that it's a pretty fun movie to watch and it's like oh i guess i'm not gonna see it and so like i'm in that similar role it's like wow i've been really looking forward to ahsoka like wow i really want to see grand admiral thrawn and talk about it and get excited but yeah like not not at the cost of like feeling icky about it yeah no i think i'm exactly there i i will say i'm gonna disagree with people i i think that if you like the flash you have many, many, many reasons not to see this movie because it's utterly <laughs> abominably bad. Um, but putting that aside, yeah, I get it. And I think and, – and yeah, it's going to hurt me financially. But I think a lot of other people are making much bigger sacrifices. For me, podcasting is still only a small part of my income. I would like it to be larger. I would like to be able to put more focus into it. And like I said, I was really hoping this would help get me there. But, you know, to me, I think – to participate in capitalism, you have to be willing to sometimes say, I am going to put the needs of others and the good of others above my personal self-interest. And there are people who are doing that far more than I. Um, uh, friendly Neighborhood Master Allen uh, of the of Level Up Sabers, which is a fantastic company. It's where I bought my lightsaber. If you're thinking of buying a lightsaber, it's a fantastic uh, place to do so. And he also has some great videos on like how to learn how to be better at lightsabers. Strong, strong recommendation. Uh, he put out a TikTok that I saw actually just like five minutes before you and I recorded where he said, look, like he makes his entire living by selling them. And one of the things that he does, he has some that are like, you know, he has like a Barbie lightsaber and a Battlestar Galactica themed lightsaber. But as you can imagine, a lot of his lightsabers are specifically themed to characters. And so he has like Ahsoka lightsabers that he was going to promote very strongly in the lead up to the show. And he's decided he's just not going to do that. He's still going to have them available for sale, but he's not going to do any promotion that's tied in any way to any Star Wars characters or, or things like that. And I yeah. I was like, you're going to take a financial hit for that. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm incredibly uh, – I really respect that you're going to do that. You know, and he said in the same way, like, you know, when his shipping prices go up during the UPS strike, he's not going to raise prices on everyone else. You know, he's willing to to help eat that. And, you know, I think there's a lot of other people. There are a lot of people who do make their full living from this stuff who are who are not going to take these steps. Um, and so I just I'm, I'm glad to be a part of that. One thing I will say is if you are inspired by my uh, economic self-sacrifice and want to help out, my Patreon is always right there in the comments, uh, in the show notes. Uh, and, and but I'm not going to say I. I so I would love it if more people decided to sign up to help support this. But I'm also going to say that uh, while the strike is going on, I want to be giving back as well. So uh, 25% of anything I make during Patreon from Patreon uh, from now until the strike ends, uh, including the last week or so, uh, 25% of that is going to go directly to the fund that is there to help uh, the actors and writers who are out of work because of the strike. Uh, and actually, I think it's actually doing a lot to help uh, even people who are affected by it, like, you know, like the catering staff, like all the people who work, like they're not, their their contracts aren't even being negotiated, but they're out of work because the thing, you know, the no all production is halted. So it, it's a great fund. I'll have a link to it. If you want to donate directly to that, that'd be fantastic. 
And if you decide this is a good time to join Patreon, you get ad-free content, you get bonus content, and it helps support people like myself. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's what's really important. And so let's then kind of use that to transition to talk about the wide world of stuff that is Star Wars that is outside of um, TV and movies and even animation. Things that are outside, you know, having uh, writers and actors. Well, somewhat, although we're also going to talk about video games. Because here, here's one that I'm really not – I think I know where I stand and that I'm more comfortable doing this stuff. But I'm curious your thoughts as well because it is st still all under Disney. It all, is all still money going to Disney. I feel differently about it because it is it is completely outside of the stuff that the union is doing and the union's not asking for a boycott of these companies yet. And I feel like, frankly, like the books, the comic books, the video games don't get anywhere near the attention they do. And this is a good time to, to talk about them instead. But I'm curious what your thoughts are. Oh, boy. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a very popular phrase, there's no ethical consumption in capitalism, right? Yeah. And so navigating these decisions, you can never do – you can never be consistent, unfortunately. Yeah. Like, if, if you want to be consistent, you have to go live in the forest and, like, never right. consume anything and, like, live off the land. That said, like, we always – every one of us every day – makes various decisions on I want to buy this or I don't want to buy this based on various feelings. And, and so, like, I think it's important that each person makes decisions for themselves and decides, yeah. like, what they are willing to do or what they aren't willing to do. And, like, the, the lightsaber person you were talking about, like, you mentioned that they were still going to sell the Ahsoka-themed sabers on the website. And some people might side-eye that and look, oh, wait a minute. But that's – you're still, you know, kind of profiting yeah. off of Ahsoka. Yeah. And, and that's a decision that person has made. And I think it's a it's a reasonable one that they're yeah. not going to, like, openly promote Ahsoka the show and say, hey, I have these Ahsoka-themed things. Yeah. They, they exist. Like, they, they already made them, right? Like, that's part of the issue, again, is that – they had already made these and like prepared to sell them in anticipation of the show. And sometimes just like turning, turning around and like stopping that is just like, you, you can't do that as yeah. someone as a business. So I understand that. And I respect the decision that they made. Yeah. And there's two things I want to say there. One, just on the general, I really appreciate that you brought up that statement, no ethical consumption under capitalism. Cause I think a lot of people fundamentally misunderstand it. I think some people say that what since you can never be like pure under capitalism, then why bother about anything? You should just spend your money on whatever you want and not have any ethical considerations whatsoever. That's not what the statement means yeah. in the slightest. What it means is that there is nothing that is going to be a hundred percent pure. Well, I mean, you know, you go to a farmer who's out in the middle of the woods and you give them money and they give you apples. Sure, but it's it's very hard to structure your entire life around that. And, and and even there, like m most of it's just like, well, because you don't know what pesticides they're using or not using or, you know, w whatever it is. But but so the point of the saying is you're going to have to make compromises. So the point is to, to inform yourself as much as you can and then to make the compromises that you think are, you know, to find where your ethical lines are and, and to respect that other people might be trying their best, but still have, they you know, like. There are things that um, my friend Paul does where I'm like, eh, I wouldn't consume the stuff you're consuming, but 
but he thinks that all the meat that I consume is completely yeah, ethically, exactly. morally reprehensible. And so I, you know, respect that. We're going to have different positions on things like this. And 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 then more of the specific, I, I think he makes some really good points. And you know, and again, like I'm, my podcast isn't my main source of income, but I'm I'm trying to build it into something that can be. And on my other podcast, this is actually a lot easier. Uh, that one is superhero ethics. I hope most people here have listened to it at least once or twice. But if not, check it out. We have a pretty wide range of things we can we can um, look at, you know. And I started by thinking that I would look at books a lot, and I uh, actually now have podcasts lined up to record on some of the Discworld series, uh, as well as Moby Dick, which I figured I should read at some point in time. And um, so we're going to talk about that. And then also, the more I was thinking about it, the more I realized, like, wait a minute. There is actually a ton of incredible on-screen stuff that happens that has nothing to do with these American corporations, uh, you know, that's made by the BBC or anime or, um, you know, stuff out of the Indian subcontinent or, you know, all over the world. There are things that are made by people that have nothing to do with these union fights. And so, yeah, why not talk about some of those things? Uh, and so that's more stuff that I'll be trying to cover. This podcast is called Star Wars Universe Podcast, mm-hmm. so I can't really get away from I mean, I, I could. I could rename it, but I do love Star Wars, and I want to keep talking about Star Wars. So, yeah. And I think, like, books should be fair game. Like, it, yeah. And, and yeah, like, the whole the no ethical consumption, like, but it all leads back to Disney, right? Okay. But it's like, I don't hate Disney. Like, yeah. I, hate, I, I hate, again, that their executives make so many millions of dollars. And some mm-hmm. of the decisions they make, but fundamentally, like as a fan, I love Star Wars, and yeah. I love I love Mar- the Marvel stuff they put out, and I enjoy Disneyland. So, like, you, you know, it, it's the whole like no permanent allies, no permanent uh, yeah. enemies. When Disney is fighting DeSantis in Florida, I'm 100 percent on Disney's side. When Disney is being an evil corporation because it's a huge corporation, and and that's how corporations work like this. I'm going to be totally against them. And, and I think that there's, there's a huge, there's a ways to find the balance there. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. So like mm-hmm. books, comic books. I mean, have you read dark empire yet? I, we could do, we could talk about dark empire, Matthew. I, I think there's a certain doctor who I probably should be talking about some. You, you've teased me with some of the stuff about Dr. Af- Afra. I think that's their name. Oh, Doctor uh, Afara, I think is how. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not in Dark Empire. Okay, I my brain has real trouble with uh, comic books, but I'm willing to give it a try. You know, I'm I'm willing to kind of try, and certainly like the video games are great and have a lot of content. Um, I want to finish the the Jedi Survivor game, but Zelda came out, and we started playing the Miles Morales game, and then there's Final Fantasy, so it's kind of low on the list. But as soon as we get to it, yeah. we will definitely play it, and that we can talk about. And yeah, there are so many great novels to talk about. Yes, I recommended to you, um, was it Resistance Reborn? Hmm. Yeah. So if you read that, I could go back and, and give it a quick reread, and we could talk mm-hmm. about that, like. And I think that, yeah, those, from a logical perspective, like, those are fair game. And Yeah. But as I said, like, each individual makes their own decision. And if there are people in the audience who are like, oh, like, I can't listen to a Star Wars podcast while this is going on, like, that's your decision. And, yeah. And, and uh, everyone should make their own decision and be comfortable with it. 
and you can discuss and criticize other people's decisions, but you know, don't condemn them. I would say, like, be reasonable yeah. about it. You know, they're yeah. one of the prominent ones. I, I feel like that gets discussed a lot is Chick Fil A, right? And mm-hmm. their anti-LGBTQ um, money contributions. I do not eat at Chick Fil A. I haven't eaten at Chick Fil A in who knows how long, like five, six years, probably at this point, at least. But if someone else does, like, I'm not going to slap the sandwich out of their hand and go, how dare you? Like, like, that's not on me to do that. If it's a friend, like, and they want to discuss it, I'm happy to discuss it. Hey, like, like, you know, this is a thing that happens and this is why I don't eat it. But. Mm-hmm. And I'll admit that's one where you and I disagree, because for me, when someone gives money to Chick-fil-A. That money, a part of it eventually is going to be used to help people who want me dead. And I don't mean in like the kind of like, oh, they're trying to ban quite literal in parts of the world. Chick-fil-A is funding where where queer people are being put to death. And for me, I cannot feel safe around someone while they're eating Chick-fil-A because, you know, you know, if it's a kid or someone, someone who truly lives under a rock, fine. But I don't think you can live in our society right now and not have some understanding of that because it's been so well publicized. And and yeah, so if I'm in a space with, you know, someone who calls themselves my friend uh, or my colleague or whatever, and they're eating Chick-fil-A, I have to look at that and, and think, this person thinks that funding people who want me dead is okay if the chicken sandwich is good enough. And... And so yeah, so I, I, I this is a whole side discussion we can have another time, and 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 like I said, different people can draw the line in different places, and you know, um, however morally upright I might get about some things, you know, other people can say, but you kill animals for for eating, and that that's true, and I try to do that in more and more ethical ways as I go on, but you know, other people can look at my own ethical standards and say, but you know, you're a huge hypocrite because of this. So, and again, that that wasn't meant to attack you; that what? was just meant to just give a very strident difference because I. Even as you said that, I felt my own chest kind of tightening up my brain because it's it's to me, it and Harry Potter are just such fundamental like iron lines of, you know, if you're crossing this, you are you are telling me how little my life values to you. And 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 so I don't want anything to do with you. I, you know, I respect that. Um, I believe that's a strong stance, but Mm -hmm. I, I have personally cut out people. Who are not like very like strongly in people like, but I've cut out people who, for example, like streamed the Harry Potter game when that came out. Yeah, I was just kind of like, oh, if you're gonna do that, like, I don't really want to be around you, right? Yeah. But it it's complicated in the way that the the rebels is complicated. Yeah, that people grew up reading Harry Potter before they knew. Like, I grew up reading Orson Scott Card, Ender's Game, and I loved it. Yeah. Before I knew what kind of person he was and what he believed in and what what he used his money for, so now like I don't I've ne- I haven't read one of his books in a long time, but it's still p- a part of my history and it's dear to yeah. me, and I, and it's hard to cut cut that out of myself, right? Even though I, I mean, can cut it out moving forward. One thing I've been thinking about in terms of as you mentioned that writer strike from from a while ago, is yeah a lot of really great shows had some bad things to happen to them. But also some really good things came out of it. And and 
Joss Whedon is now a person we know an awful lot more about. And so I don't think I would enjoy it as much watching it today. But Dr. Horrible was something that brought an awful lot of joy to me and mm. was music that I did at uh, concerts for a long time that I really, really loved. And that was created because of the writer's strike. And and yeah, so I think it's, it's you know, and, and like I'm sure there are topics – I sure – and I wanted to make this very clear both to yourself and to my audience – Meeting is just one example. I'm sure there are things that will bother you far more than they bother me. And so you will draw a stricter line on it than I will. You know, and I think that that's kind of the whole point is we just need to be able to talk about those things and share them and, and say, here's where, where we, where we very stand and then, and then figure things out from there. Yeah. My perspective on it is that I, I am most familiar with my own life and my yeah. own, you know, what I have lived and experienced. And, What's important for all of us is to talk about things with other people who have experienced different things and who perceive the world differently from us and then listen. And it doesn't, you know, you don't have to change just because you had a talk with someone about something, but at least you have that perspective and maybe going forward, you will be more, more mindful of things and yeah. think about stuff like that's what I think is most important is like. Some things, yes, like you, you should change. Absolutely. Otherwise we, we can't be friends. Like that, that is a thing that can happen. Yeah. And I, you know, like you discussing that, 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 that it's, it, it's important enough to you is something mm -hmm. that I now will consider going forward yeah. and think about more. And I think that's where the thing about the different perspectives becomes so vital because part of it, I think is also trusting that, you know, um, there are elements of anti-Asian bias that I can spot. You know, I came out of the first Phantom Menace movie going, wow, that was a, you know, thinking both Jar Jar and the Neomodians were both pretty horrible racist caricatures. But then there's been a lot of other things that where you have pointed out anti-Asian or specifically anti-Japanese bias in things that I did, I wouldn't have noticed. And sometimes you, you point it out and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I really see it. And other times I'm like, you know, I don't really see it. But I trust that Riki has had these experiences that I haven't and and has a much better lens on these things than I do. And and it doesn't mean, I'm, you know, there probably might be still some things where I'm like, eh, I, I feel like this is a projection or something like that. But but I also think my opinion matters a lot less than yours and something like that. And and in the reverse with, with queer and trans stuff or or and with anyone else about the issues that that directly affect them. Like none of it's doctrinaire, none of it's exact lines in the sand. But I think, there's, as you said, there's just so much value to – when someone else says, hey, this thing bothers me, in, if your first reaction is to say that it doesn't bother you and so therefore they must be wrong, I think that's such a good response to train ourselves to push through and to say, no, let me actually hear from you more about why that bothers you, you know? And if it's a person telling me why two men kissing on, on screen bothers them, I'm probably still going to come to the point of being like, no, you're stupid. I, I, I'm not going to pay attention to that. But a lot of other things I am, even if I don't necessarily see it myself. And I and or or if I don't see it myself, I'm gonna to want to try and look harder and talk to more people about it and, and all these kind of things. Yeah, I mean I will say <laughs> I will say like uh Phantom Menace. It it took me a while, I think. I did I didn't come out of that first viewing going like, oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, with it within like the I saw it in theaters three times. And maybe by the third time, because I had already seen everything else, uh -huh. then I started to be like, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? Yeah. 
but and that's I, the I, thing. Like, even I like didn't have an immediate gut reaction to it, and mm-hmm. so like that's why I think like we all should we all evolve, like from viewing to viewing, from day to day, and and over the years, like stuff stuff changes for us. Yeah, and stuff affects us differently. Like another example of a an Asian a Japanese thing specifically is. When I saw the movie The Last Samurai in theaters, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, cool. And then it wasn't until a couple of years later I was thinking about it. I was like, why, why is Tom Cruise the last samurai? Like, why yeah. is this white guy the savior of the Japanese samurai spirit? This is kind of BS. And it's still, I, I still think it's like an enjoyable movie from like the acting, the, the action sequences and yeah. all that. Um, and what was like, that was Ken, one of Ken Watanabe's like earliest roles, I believe, like Mm -hmm. at least in the West. Yeah. But it hits differently. And like, I don't think I would enjoy it as much. And it's like, yeah, it's kind of like, kind of crappy. Like what that movie, what that movie does in the larger picture of like tropes and how Asian people and white people are portrayed against each other. I I think a fairly accurate description of that movie is Dances with Samurai. Yeah. Uh, In that, because. Dances with Wolves is, is almost the exact same movie, and just I, this time it's a white person with Native Americans. I sure I sure loved that movie as well <laughs> when I yeah, saw I, it. For me, as someone who finds the whole period of the Meiji Restoration and, and the whole idea of, you know, Japan moving from into an industrialized military in, – in, and of Japan moving into a more industrialized society, including industrialized military, I, I think the movie is very interesting. and. Yeah. Like I said, I think the acting, I think the dialogue, I think the battle scenes are great. But I also think the context of we didn't feel like we could tell you this really interesting story of – because The Last Samurai really is, as you said, is a part being played by Ken Watanabe. But they have to kind of imply that maybe it's Tom Cruise because yeah. he, as you said, becomes more 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 samurai than the samurai. Just like Kevin Costner becomes more native <laughs> yeah. than the natives or Avatar becomes more blue cat person than the blue cat people. Like that's always – there's always that need to have a white avatar through which to tell the story. And and we're getting quite off topic. Yeah. But I, I <laughs> wanna end so. I wanna end this thought by saying that it's okay to have l- liked something that you now think is problematic or wrong. And yeah. and that and in fact I think it is very good and responsible for you to do that and to evaluate things that you enjoyed in the past and say I don't enjoy it as much because I have new perspective or I've talked to people who have taught me things. And I think – and I'll even take that one step further but kind of echo what you said earlier. So just more – more. I guess this is more just underlining your argument with with something else you said. I read Ender's Game before I knew much about the author and I still think that it's a brilliantly – it's a brilliant work of fiction and there's a lot that it 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 taught me. And there's often times where the frameworks of that are ones that I apply in thinking about things. In the same way, Harry Potter deeply moved me as, yeah. as a younger person, not, not as a kid, but as a young adult. And and it, it, meant, it meant enough to me that at one point I got a tattoo that, that references it. I'm currently having uh, – currently uh, I have an appointment for the fall to have that uh, tattoo removed uh, and covered up and done in a different way and I'm looking forward to that. Um, but – and in this particular climate, I'm probably not going to mention the, uh, you know, the lessons I got from it. But probably at some point, I might again. You know, when I feel like it's not uh, – when, when, as I hope, 
J.K. Rowling is really kind of you know forgotten about as a cultural icon, and and the, the, we're not still fighting actively over its legacy. Uh, like I said, I think the music in Doctor Horrible is absolutely brilliant. I think wrecking, just like I think there's a lot of really good stuff in Buffy and in Angel and in Firefly. I think knowing what I do about um, knowing what I do about Joss changes the way I view those things. Um, probably for me, honestly, the one that's the hardest is Woody Allen because growing up in New York, like the movie Radio Days about Woody Allen's childhood is quite literally about my father's childhood. He grew up three blocks from the house where uh, Woody Allen's character in that movie grows up. And there's an awful lot that Woody Allen to say that for me growing up, you know, in a partly Jewish home in New York City meant so much to me. He's a pretty awful person. And so, and especially like with someone like Joss or Woody, knowing what I know about them means that watching their romance plots hits very differently. Um, but like you said, it doesn't mean we have to give up those things. And no matter how much the strike come, no matter how long the strike goes to kind of tie it back to that, I don't think this means you have to hate it. You know, I certainly don't think Disney has screwed up Star Wars. Uh, I think a lot of the Disney stuff has been great. I know some people disagree, but I think there's going to continue. You know, the strike is going to end eventually. And I hope there's going to be more Disney content that comes out, more Star Wars content comes out. And I'm going to be ready to love it. You know, and I just think we got to. Right now, we just need to do all we can to support the support the strikers, and then see where we go from there. Hundred percent, yeah. I mean, that that right. is the most important thing right now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Is as public as fans to say, hey, no, like these, give these people what they deserve. Yeah, very much so. All right. Well, this is where we're going to wrap up. Uh, as I said, you can join the Patreon uh, and then uh, get access to the patron content. Today, the patron content is going to be on uh, other things that are, you know, that are being made outside of the U.S. studio system. And what are some good recommendations in that regard? Uh, in you know, start everything from Star Wars comics to Bollywood to you know whatever. Um, uh, and if you're listening to this in normally, you're always welcome to if you sign on to Patreon now, you can do that and then skip to the end of the episode and you'll hear that bonus content. Of course, uh, you can find all of my podcasts at theethicalpanda.com. That's where you find all the ways to contact us, to uh, send us feedback, tell us what you think, where you stand on the strike, what are you doing, what do you want to see us do. Would love to hear your thoughts on all of that. Uh, and of course, uh, Riki is a regular guest on this. Sarah couldn't join us today, but Riki does a lot of other great content creation. Uh, Riki, uh, tell us where they can find what else you do. Hello, I stream on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Go, R-I-K-I-P-E-D-I-A-G-O, and the Go is for Pokemon Go, because I stream Pokemon Go battles, but I, I'm, you know, a lot of other streamers just talk about the Pokemon, but I like to have, like, discussions like this, like, today, we talked about the, um, the alt-right rabbit hole on YouTube, for example. So nice. I, I, I kind of like have carved a space out where I am a, just like I try to be a positive influence on the committee, uh, mm -hmm. community, but also an honest one and just like have frank discussions about things That's and awesome. in the way that I try to be, you know, here in these discussions to say, Hey, like these things bother me, but it's okay, like, and and if it's okay, like, that things bother you, but let's not be angry about it. Like, that's the most important thing is, yeah. you know, don't fall down the dark side. Yeah. I think it's Star, really important. Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's a great metaphor. Totally agree with you. Well, Riki, thank you so much as always. Thank you to all of you who are listening. Um, on behalf of Riki and myself, we have spoken.
All right, welcome back for the Patreon content. As I said, as we were talking about, there is it is easy, I think, sometimes to forget that there is an incredible amount of movies and TV shows, and not to mention other, you know, uh, non-on-screen products being made uh, about stories we love or about different kind of stories completely outside of the American uh, TV fi- film system. And so uh, we're never – it's not going to be all-encompassing. I didn't give Ricky any time to prep for this. It's just kind of off the top of your head. But if someone was like, you know what? I want to kind of find some other stuff to watch or other stuff to read. What would be some of your recommendations for – let's start first with just uh, stuff to watch. Uh, do you have recommendations of things people can watch that are outside of U.S. media? I mean, just anything anime. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I had this discussion with a friend uh, on whether I, I, Riki Hayashi, can personally be a weeb. And <laughs> the answer we came to is no, because I'm yeah. Japanese. But it's weird, because, like, culturally, I have grown up in the United States my whole life. So, like, uh-huh. I am biologically, like... I don't know if 100% because, you know, that's not how people work. But I'm like, as far as I know, I'm 100% Japanese. Um, I have Japanese citizenship. But culturally, I'm very American. Howdy, y'all. So, like, a lot of the times I feel in Japan, I feel like an outsider. So, Mm -hmm. my connection with anime is very much as an American culturally Mm, like yeah i watch it in japanese because i understand the language but uh, you know most of the anime i watch is on usa netflix so i don't i haven't even like i'm not up to speed on like what is trending in in japan necessarily but absolutely like anime is is just so good right now so if i had to recommend something i would recommend haikyuu which mm-hmm. is a um, a high school or maybe junior high volleyball sports anime. Fantastic. Cool. Um, I think that one's on Netflix. Um, yeah. Movie-wise, I mean, the, the podcast audience can't see, but behind me, uh, yeah, there's the, the DVD for Your Name. Mm. The Japanese name for that is Kimi no Nawa, and it's a movie. And it might be my favorite movie of all time. If you yeah. have not seen it, have you seen it, Matthew? I have not. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, uh, you have to change that. Okay. Um, I- I'm not going to tell you anything about it. You just have to watch it. It is. Okay. Like I said, it may be my favorite movie of all time. Like, it's it's 100% in my top five. And it's it's hard to like rank stuff like that, right? But yeah. it's just so good. And I'll find it if I search for your name, anime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And I'll say, anime is something that I think was locked away to locked away from me for a long time. And it wasn't until I was talking more with other people who have ADHD the way I do, because I realized the thing is like I, some of the visual styles are not my favorite, and. I'm not a visually minded person, so when I think it's the same problem I have with comic books that when you're supposed to get a lot of the story not from the dialogue but from the visuals, it's lost on me. But I think the biggest thing that was holding me up was my ADHD is such that it is very hard for me to watch something while doing nothing else and just staring at the TV. Mm-hmm. And often I want to have something in my hands, I want to be looking at my phone, I want to be fiddling with something. And that means that I'm often going to look away from the screen 
And so what I can watch some I can watch like a movie with subtitles. I just kind of set my focus, really push myself through it, and then I need a break. But watching like numerous episodes of a TV show is really hard for me. And till I finally just kind of and again, talking to some other ADHD people who had done the same, like gave gave myself permission to listen to to watch things dubbed. And ten anime purists just canceled their subscription because I know that's the thing that is just not supposed to be as good. Though I will say from what I'm reading, they're putting a lot more time and effort into the dubbing and having the dubbing actors be a lot better and the dubbing write the the writing for it being a lot better. That's not SAG covered. Maybe it should be one day. That's a, a different fight. Um, but for example, one thing I would recommend uh, and that I might get someone to talk to you about um, is Full Metal Alchemist. And I saw the Brotherhood version of it. It's a very interesting story. It's very clearly an analog to Germany and German German territorial ambitions and, and oh, the Nazis and all kind of stuff like that. And I think uh. it's a, a very well-told story that there's some questions about the writer. But on a different note, with the possible exception of Toph from Avatar, Ed is the character who I most relate to as a disabled person. Uh, and the exception of Echo, I would say, but we've seen so little of her. The portrayal of and, – and, and him specifically as someone who has prosthetic limbs. Um, I've talked before on this podcast about how I don't like it when magic or science basically erases your disability. Mm-hmm. Ed has – I mean, his prosthetics can do things mine could never do because of incredible technology. But he still goes through the struggles that I do with my prosthetic. And and for that alone, that show is beloved to me. Um and I'll definitely be watching that. Um, and so one thing I'm, I may uh, get people on to talk about is My Neighbor Totoro. Uh, it's a great story. I love it. But kind of funny because when we saw the things that happened to those trees uh, that were destroyed outside the Universal lot, I was talking with a bunch of friends. And and I sort of joked, yeah, like if only there was, you know, some story about the, the, the terrible things that can happen when you cut down the trees and threaten all the nice forest friends. And... I was like, yeah, because, you know, Studio Ghibli has a movie about this. And my three different friends all named different movies. Uh, I was thinking of My Neighbor Totoro, but it turns out, you know, um, uh, the forest fighting back when you go into the forest to harm the little animal friends is a very common theme uh, in uh, Studio Ghibli uh, and Miyazaki's work. Uh, So, yeah, I think that would be a great one to do. Um, Stepping out of that world also, um, a lot of BBC stuff is, is really good, worth covering. Uh, there's a, a thing called Sharps Rifles that my buddy uh, Paul has been wanting to talk about for a while. Uh, that's on BBC. It's older, but it's supposed to be very good, very interesting, and interesting takes on war and soldiering and, and the military and stuff like that. Um, I really wanted to cover RRR when it came out, um, which is very important to note, not Bollywood. It's made by what's called by some Tollywood, the, the more Tamil language and, and mm. influenced part of Indian cinema. Um, that one is so much based in Indian history and culture that I didn't feel like that's not one that I'm going to cover. And I think I'm going to be a little careful with some stuff from other countries like that. But yeah, there's some great content that I definitely think I might cover out of India or Japan or Korea or, you know, East Europe or, you know, all these places that are just creating incredible media because there really is. And again, we're not calling, no one's calling for a boycott yet. We should still keep watching the great stuff that that's out in, in the United States, but there is great media that's put out by companies that aren't Disney and Universal and Warner Brothers and all them. And and that's worth taking a look at too. I'm glad you mentioned Korea because Mm. 
I have also been getting into a lot of uh, Korean horror stuff. Interesting. Um, there's a couple of shows on Netflix. What are they called? I think one of them is All of Us Are Dead, which is a mm. high school zombie TV show. And right. The other one is uh, Sweet Home, which is mm. not zombies. It's like monsters or like people mutating into monsters. And, and, right. they're, and they're just like so delightfully weird. And nice. I really love it. Um, you know, J-horror, Japanese horror had its heyday with like the ring and the grudge, right? Yeah. And, and I feel like this decade-ish, like K-horror, Korean horror mm-hmm. has had like a very nice moment. And I, I've enjoyed a lot of it. Yeah. I'm Although, definitely wanting to look into that. I think I'm going to want to be very careful because I think, I, unfortunately, these, you know, American mega corporations do have incredible reach. And so, like, when you mentioned Korean uh, stuff, my first thought was, oh, I never covered Squid Game. And then realized, A, again, I did feel like it was, like, I felt like I need, would need to have someone Korean to, to talk with me about it, which if people are out there, please let me know. But also, my understanding is that is it was made by, by, Korean production companies and actors, but all under the umbrella, like Netflix made that and mm. paid for it. Uh, and fair, so yeah. I do want to take a look at like, what are the things that Netflix just bought the rights to um, versus things that they actually created? And, and again, it's, you know, are we drawing arbitrary lines? Yeah, but I want to keep some controlled lines. But yeah, no, those are good things. Um, one thing that actually just occurred to me as we were talking, because I know you've mentioned this before. Let's do something on the Godzilla movies from like the 50s and 60s. Oh my gosh. I think that'd be so much fun. Uh, okay. So. <laughs> well, if you're up for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could talk about Gojira all day and night. Uh-huh. But again, like, I'm going to make a very strong recommendation uh-huh. that you need to watch the most recent one from Toho, which was called okay. Shin Gojira. Okay. It is. Th- this one I will, like, contextualize a little bit. Mm-hmm. It is. It was a movie made as social commentary for the government, and in the the opinion of the creators of the movie, the inept government response to the Fukushima nuclear disaster. Interesting. And so it is filmed in a way that is kind of like mockumentary style, where it, a lot of the action, like there's there's. Plenty of outdoor stuff with Gojira and fighting and stuff, which is not mockumentary style. But, like, a lot of the human drama is is filmed as if, you know, like, documentary following government officials responding to this kaiju threat. Oh, that's And, and just, like, kind of, like, fumbling it. And yeah. it is... The first time I watched it, I just kind of enjoyed it. I was like, this is a really different movie from, like, every other Gojira movie. And then I like read up on it a little and then watched it again with that context. So I think it's really important to have that going into it mm-hmm. to like watch it as that kind of commentary and go, oh, like this is really good. Nice. It and, is an amazing movie. And it's called Shin Gojira? Yeah. Shin means new or like Neo. Okay. Neo Gojira. If I type Shin Godzilla, will I find it or do I need to figure yeah, out how yeah, to phonetically spell? Okay. Cool, cool. Yeah. No, that sounds fantastic. And like- I'm hoping that you don't get the kind of idiots that get you get now where like, oh, there's so much politics in Star Trek. But like, you know, the Godzilla movies from the very beginning have always been commentary on nuclear weapons. It was about the nuclear bombs dropped on Japan and like, 
and and, and that like throughout the franchise you can see that it, it, like a lot mm. of the movies are silly like the suits are silly and some of the movies are very bad but throughout it like they have tried to maintain this commentary on and one of the movies like one of the uh i think it's a heisei era gojira movies Mm-hmm. Gojira comes back as the vengeful spirit of like World War II soldiers, like coming back for vengeance because like you <laughs> no longer like Japan no longer like respects like its traditions or something like that. Like it's wild what they have done. What they have done with the silly monster. So yeah, uh-huh. there, there, people who say like keep the politics out of X fundamentally i think what they are saying is they don't like the politics that are being portrayed yeah and that's again like my opinion is that's fine if you don't like the politics being portrayed but don't pretend like like everything is not political like yeah and especially that some of these works like yeah was all tv in the 60s very political no was star trek absolutely it was one of the most political things out there so and it was the 90s and yeah it's always been so or like X Men, right? Like, oh, like how how dare you? Like X oh, yeah. Men is fundamentally a metaphor for race. There's a great interview with George Lucas uh, talking about the original Star Wars and the politics in those original movies, uh, you know, made in the late seventies. Yes, and about the Vietnam uh, War. Talking, yeah, yeah, cause, and, and they're talking about how it's about a bunch of like ragtag rebels fighting this big empire, hmm. and. And the interviewer a couple times tries to be like, oh, yeah, so you mean like the American Revolution, right? And George is very specific <laughs> saying, yeah, yes, but also the Viet Cong. Yeah. Like, oh, you mean the rep? No, no, not just also the Viet Cong. Like specifically, he meant America is the empire there. Um, so, yeah, there's been politics and all this stuff. Well, all right, Ricky, this was awesome. Um, I think I'm going to try to watch the two things you've mentioned. I've got a bunch of other things on my list. I've got a bunch of reading to do. Uh, I'm in, uh, you know, I joked that I was, I, I took the only English class possible for American lit that didn't make me read, uh, Moby Dick. And now I have to talk about Moby Dick. So I'm going to do what every good high schooler should do and read the quip notes Cliff note, instead, yeah. cliff notes instead. Uh, so, but, uh, uh do those I still to, exist? There's now, it's a new version. It's like shock notes or okay. the younger people in the audience are all going to yell at me. But actually, <laughs> I, I just Googled like Moby Dick summary and it took me to one of those. And it's actually right. very helpful. It's giving me like chapter by chapter analysis and stuff like that. And yeah. I'll be talking For- with a my, – my guest is a, a, a very deep uh, uh, Moby Dick expert. So they will have read the book. I'm going to do something on Sherlock with a, a guest who knows everything about the Arthur Conan Doyle books and has read those back to front. Uh, so yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, I, I look, I really, really hope the strike's over soon, especially for the actors, but also for my stuff. I hope that Ahsoka comes out on time. I hope, uh, stuff like Andor gets made and, and comes out. Uh, but if not, there's a lot of great content we can, we can make in the, in the meantime. Okay. I know we've gone on for a long time, but mm-hmm. you mentioned Full Metal Alchemist and, and I haven't watched that, but you mentioned yeah, sure. like German Nazi stuff. And I kind of like keyed in on that because at some point we may want to talk about that, by yeah. which I mean just loads of Nazi stuff in anime and yeah. like the ethics of it and what it means for fandom. Because I, I've had 
like I said on on my uh, stream, like I talk about stuff. I've talked about this with yeah. with people in chat and been like, yeah, it's kind of uncomfortable how much Nazi stuff there's in anime. Yeah, I can see that, uh, especially given you know Japan's role during World War II. Absolutely, and, and all these kind of connections. And it's, it's a it's a proxy. And, and and I'm very curious about it. Like one of the things that threw me about Full Metal Alchemist is it, it's not directly Nazi, but it's very German. I mean, in some ways, it's almost more like Otto von Bismarck and that level of like German expansionism and militarism and things like that. Although there are some some more Nazi like elements. But one of the things that happens is like the you don't mind me a spoil a couple plot details here, right? Oh, go go right ahead. Okay, so the president who is clearly like evil McEvil pants. Um, they they refer to him as the Führer. And oh my I, God. Well, <laughs> I think I, I knew say, this. The the dub I should say again in the dubbed like and uh, you know I don't know if the Japanese word that is spoken is an exact tra- like I don't know if this translation happened in the Jap it's the Japanese word for a German word or for the dubbing, but the English word they use is Führer. Ah. Now. Naming the Führer in evil for an evil character as an evil leader, I think, makes total sense, and I've got no problem with that. It's the fact then that when some of the good guys are talking about like who should be in power after this, they continue to use the title Führer, and it threw me. I, I don't think it's necessarily bad though, because I think it has a lot to do with the vicissitudes of language, especially because now we're going from German to Japanese to English, and. I know that in German, the word Führer just means leader. Yes. And it used to be that, like, yeah, like, if you were on a team and, like, your team captain, like, someone might refer to that person as the Führer or, like, the head of the company or something like that. Now, my understanding is that in modern Germany, that word is very rarely used anymore because of the associations that it has. Just like the name Adolf. Like, there are lots of wonderful people who were named Adolf, uh, I'm, I'm sure, beforehand. But... A lot of the people who, you know, it, it isn't a name that people name their kids in Germany anymore. Uh, and a lot of the people who were named Adolf changed their name to Dolph. Uh, that's where Dolph Lundgren comes from. Oh, um, uh, I, I think he was born after World War II, but his, like, he, he was like being, I think he was named for uh, a relative who was Adolf and so they named him Dolph instead. Um, so it, it, it wasn't bad, but it was definitely a, like, oh, they're using Fuhrer as a morally neutral word for president. That's... It's a very different cultural context than the one I, which I'm I watching. May, I may go and watch some just to get a feel for it and see if I can catch that in the Japanese. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to know what you what you pick up on yeah. it because I I do think it's very interesting and I and I do think that topic of I I I was very fascinated by World War II. Um, I um, it's my degree. It comes, <laughs> yeah, it, and it comes from my father. My father actually did um, when he went to law school, he studied with one of the professors who had done. Um, who had been a prosecutor at the war crimes trials uh, in Japan after World War II? Oh my gosh! And well, one of the things that he he thought was really troubling, and that he and that he got my father thinking a lot about, and that kind of passed on to me, was how like everyone knows the name Nuremberg trials. We know almost nothing about the trials in Japan, hmm. and part of that is, I mean, a big part of that is because there was a sense of like, how could the Germans, who are white Europeans like us, do these terrible things? Versus the flip side of like, oh, well, the Japanese, they're barbaric. Of course, they did these kind of things. You know, I mean, there's just – there's so much racism in every part of, of how World War II is viewed by Americans in, in Japan. But but that was a particular thing that this this, this person who had been one of the prosecutors talked about and that my father learned about and kind of passed on to me. And so 
yeah, I'm always very fascinated by the way that part of the the way that part of Japanese history is taught in Japan or is talked about in Japan. So yeah, I would love well, to, to again. Uh, like I I don't know for certain because I didn't right. grow up there. I didn't go to school there. But I I understand enough about like the cultural and po- po- political situation in the country to yeah. say that uh, Japan never had the opportunity to reckon with its history in the same way that Germany did. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of similar to what you're talking about with Nuremberg, right? Like the yeah. fact that the Holocaust happened. And the Holocaust happened, everyone in the audience, yes. do not know Holocaust denial. It happened. But the fact that the Holocaust happened and that the Nuremberg trials happened primarily as a you know, condemnation of that and to put people on trial for, for their part in that. Um, what am I trying to say? Is that like that put it front and center in the world and the German people were forced to reckon with that and right. understand what they took a part in. Whereas in Japan, there are, there were war crimes. There were terrible things. There was, uh, you know, the, there's an incident that was called the, I'm going to use a word here that may make people uncomfortable, but this is what it's called. Yeah. The rape of Nanking, a chi- Chinese city, of, of a terrible incident there of like near, you know, genocide. Yeah. And... It's not as pu- it wasn't as publicized historically, and I feel like that has allowed Japan as as a nation to sweep their crimes under the rug, yeah. in in a lot of ways, and to say and say like oh no, and also the atomic bombs, like a, a sense of victimhood, right? Like oh, we were the victims in mm-hmm. World War Two, and and to ignore the victimization that the country inflicted upon other people, yeah, and. I think part of what happened, we're, we're just going to record the whole podcast now. Yeah. <laughs> but part of what happens is that Nazism, like Nazi imagery is used in anime as a proxy for Japanese imperialism because they don't want to put Japanese imperialism front and center because that will bring attention to like, oh, we were the baddies. And it's oh, like, no, these are these were the baddies. But also like this weird fetishization of that Nazi ideal of the blue-eyed blonde Superman. Like, you'll mm-hmm. notice, like, a lot of anime, like, that's the villain, right? Yeah. That's the Nazi-looking villain. Gundam, I'm looking at you. I love <laughs> Gundam. I love Mobile Suit Gundam. But the main villain is so compelling for that reason. Yeah. No, I, I can understand that. And that's a conversation that I would love to have both on and off air because I know that that idea of a a country that or a, a region that adopts a position of victimhood after they lose a war, and and certainly I think I mean I think some victimhood is very much uh, you know uh, uh, justified after the, the atomic bombs, but as you said, still you know it's, it's a war, horrible things happen on all sides, and there were war crimes committed. Um, uh, at, Quick aside, also, I think it's important to note that, um, and this is something I know my father talked about, that what you said about, you know, the, the, the horrible things that happened to in Nanking, but also in another, uh, a lot of other Chinese cities. When I grew up learning about World War II and the terrible things Japan did, I never learned about that. I learned about the Bataan Death March. I learned about the horrible things that happened to American soldiers and ah, to British. Sure. And if you think even like, 
uh, a movie that was, you know, really kind of pushed this, the, um, the movie Empire of the Sun. Uh, it's all about the terrible things that the Japanese did to the British citizens in, I, f- I forget if it's Singapore or Hong Kong, but in one of those two. Back to the main subject we were talking about, as I said, I think this idea of when when people are, are losers in war or in any kind of conflict and they focus on into a place of victimhood and never really have to wrestle with the terrible things that they did, um, I, I take your word for it about in Japan, it's not something I know much about, but I think it absolutely describes the American South. You know, in terms of the the lost cause and all the ideas about the Confederacy as sure, yeah. this this terrible, you know, the war of northern aggression and 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 there was certainly a lot of deprivation that happened in the South after the Civil War and part of that was intentional by the North. I'm not even talking about uh, freeing slaves and stuff like that, but just in terms of those economies. But they they went into uh, all of that became instead of what did we do that led us to this place? It became, what did they do to us? And it was so unfair and so wrong. And therefore, everything about slavery gets totally brushed under the rug, just as you were saying. Uh, you know, And I think this is probably true in, in many places. I think in many ways, part of why Germany may be one of the places where they broke that cycle is because that's exactly what they did after World War I. You know? And that's exactly what Hitler was able to uh, come to power on. So, Yeah, it, it is like, and to be to be 100% clear, like, the the atomic bombs, like, Japan was a victim. And I oh, yeah. I truly believe that that was a war crime in itself. Yep, but 100%. it doesn't mean that you can say, oh, well, we were the victim of war crimes, so hence our war crimes don't matter. Like, that's, that is how I think, like, historically Japan has shaped its own narrative mm. uh, to itself and to, to the world. And, you know, you can't do that. You got to yeah. take responsibility for what you did as well. You know, I think that's so true. And I think that's true about nation states. It's also true about interpersonal relationships. Um, one of my favorite songs these days, and I promise we're going to wrap up because we're so far off topic. But I, I just these are fascinating conversations. Uh, I don't know if you've heard it, but it's a song called Wish We Could Have Stayed Friends by Ian McDonald. I'm not familiar. He He's a great musician. It's just kind of him and a guitar and a few little in, of instrumentation. He's a very witty lyricist. But it's about him thinking about a romantic partner who he broke up with and how he's saying that like he wished they could have stayed friends, but they didn't. And and in it, he names that like, yeah, she did some bad things to him and he did some bad things to her. And and he's just kind of looking at all of it with a feeling of sadness and regret. And I think that's such a healthy attitude, you know, of, of when I hear someone – there are abusive relationships, and I'm not saying abuse is ever justified. And if you're talking about an abusive relationship, all bets are off. But in a lot of cases, I think there are situations where both sides in a relationship, and again, it could be individuals, it could be companies, it could be nation states, both do some bad things to each other. And maybe one does a lot more, but it doesn't justify what the other did. And I think there's value in both sides being able to say, yeah, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? Where was I a victim? Where was I... Uh, causing a victimhood, and and how can I, how can I just work on myself to to get better? And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> yes, on that note, uh, thank you all go, for Patreons. Go watch Shin Gojira. Uh, your name, Mobile Suit Gundam. Well, Gundam is like such an expansive franchise. Like you, it's hard yeah. to start somewhere, mm-hmm. but. Yeah. If you want to start to try to get into that, I can try to recommend Pass, but I, I think like, I Oh, and Haikyuu. If you like Haikyuu. if you like sports, if you like teen sports drama. 
Okay. One of them. I will say, uh, it's not Teen, but Yuri on Ice, which is gay sports drama, is one of my favorite anime that I've ever seen. I haven't seen that many, but Yuri on Ice is... uh, Have I ranted to you about Yuri on Ice before? No, but Sarah has enjoyed that. I I haven't really watched it that much. 60 seconds, and then I promise we're ending this. Uh, And if you want to just stop now, stop now. But 60 seconds on this, and then we're ending. Yuri on Ice, it's about the relationships among skaters who are on the world championship and Olympic circuit. And it is so accurate to what those situations are like that during the Olympics, the ice skate, the male ice skaters would gather in Olympic village and watch it together. (laughs) And apparently for a lot of the animations of the, the, the animations of the figure skating is so good that in at least one case, uh, I believe Korean, uh, I might be wrong about that, but someone went to the Olympics and did a, a routine Ooh. that was taken basically, and they, they, I think they, they talked to the people from uh, the show and were like, is this okay that I use your choreography? And they used the choreography of a uh, uh, an ice routine from from the show. So it's very good. The anime the, is incredibly gorgeous. It's a beautiful gay love story. Definitely worth watching. All right. All right. And on that, patrons, thank you so much. You're the real heroes. You're what makes all this possible. We are done. Run!